Hello and welcome to the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast series. I'm your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. And in this podcast, I interview leaders from different organisations and industries to find out more about the challenges they face in leading through uncertainty and how they overcome them. This week, I'm talking to Kevin Watson, the MD of Amadeus, a catering company providing food to venues throughout the UK with a strong base in the West Midlands, including the NEC and other arenas. Kevin believes that uncertainty is part of the territory of running a catering business in venues where their clients are both business-to-business and business-to-consumer. They certainly have a lot of people to keep happy, and Kevin's enthusiasm and commitment are unquestionable. Kevin was pushed into the deep end of uncertainty when, only three weeks into joining Amadeus as the MD, he found himself leading through a crisis management situation. It probably helped him get off to a fast start in terms of getting to know the team, but I'm sure he wouldn't recommend such an experience. Have a listen. Hi, Kevin. Good morning. Thank you for joining me this morning. For the benefit of the listeners, can you explain who you are and what you do, please? Certainly. So my name is Kevin Watson. I'm the uh, Managing Director of Amadeus, which is the food and beverage and hospitality part of the NEC group, which we are clearly part of. Mm-hmm. So we, um, we deliver food and beverage and hospitality services across the home venues, which the group own which cover the National Exhibition Centre, the International Conference Centre, the Arena Birmingham, previously the Barclaycard Arena, and the Genting Arena, but also the Vox Conference Centre, which was newly opened about a year ago within uh, Result Worlds on uh, the NEC campus. So that's what we do within our home venues, but we also do um, some annualised events, which are tend to be sporting events, uh, tennis and golf, as it happens at the moment, Mm-hmm. So these are anything between sort of three and eight days in length, as far north as um, Scotland, as far south as Eastbourne. We have a portfolio of venues, um, it's something between 14 and 16 at the moment, where we're potentially, or majority exclusive caterer, where we'll do one-off events, and whether they're domestic or corporate, but constant banqueting, weddings... Um, etc. And then we also have a range of venues which are open seven days, three, six, five days per annum where we do what we do at our home venues. So we, we specialise in retail catering and conferencing and banqueting and we do those two disciplines in other people's venues. We have six venues over in Northern Ireland and we have about five, maybe six venues regionally. So you have quite a different set of criteria for the different venues then, do you? Is that? Yes, so each venue is bespoke. Mm-hmm. We, we have to do a bespoke um, service delivery within each venue for either the clients on a B2B basis or as, a, as the sort of visitors or consumers or guests on a B2C basis. Um, so you have to keep everybody happy. Yes, it's like, it's, it's like my marriage. <laughs> well, I'm not going to go there today because that's beyond beyond my remit and my capabilities. Yeah, but, and, uh... and, and seemingly mine. <laughs> so what are, what are the biggest challenges that you face in managing that portfolio? It, it's a double-edged sword, really. So the diversity is what keeps us engaged. It's mm-hmm. why people join Amadeus. It, 
it, it, it helps us bounce out of bed and look forward to our working day. Mm. Um, it drives innovation, it drives challenge, um, and, and we're constantly coming up with you know what's next, whether it's say whether it's consumer or business customer. But that brings with it, as all good things bring with it, um, some um, challenges. So that's managing your product range. Mm -hmm. So at one point we had something like 11,000 different SKUs, which are individual product items. So ordering those, storing those, counting those, um, doing the right thing with those individual um, items is clearly a challenge. Managing that, maintaining consistency, maintaining mm. standards. So um, it's it's a double-edged sword, as I said, but it's what motivates us. It's, mm. You know, if, if we were if we wanted to run a chain of restaurants across the country where really all you do in the morning is put the chairs off the, on the floor, at the end of the day put the chairs back on the tables and have that flywheel sort of mechanical manufacturing process, um, I wouldn't have employed the team I have. I wouldn't be engaged with Amadeus because that isn't what we are mm. about. It isn't what we do. It doesn't sort of float our boat. Mm. So would you say that there's a lot more uncertainty given that you're in venues where you've got different events with different types of consumers coming through the door? Does that create more uncertainty for you as a business? <clears throat> I guess if you looked at it from that that lens, that optic, you could you could probably fool yourself in thinking there are. Um because you could sort of navel gaze and get into a bit of a tailspin thinking about the uncertainty in each one of those areas, each one of those venues on each one of those events. But I think if you stood back and sort of had a bit of a, an overview, I can't remember a time there's never been uncertainty. Mm. I've been doing this for something like 27 years. There's always been something. Um, and whether it is a... as as binary or as tactical as the number of covers this evening, or whether it's as high level and sort of strategic as food inflation, etc. So, so there's always been challenges in our industry. I don't feel any more or less today than I have in the past. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit like a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. There's sort of peaks and troughs as you go through. But I, but I think if, if you were if you had the time to really sort of sit back, those those uncertainties and the challenges those uncertainties bring are, are fairly consistent. Mm. And I suspect it probably isn't just in my industry and in my sector. I suspect there's that same overview in, 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 every, in, in every, every sector, every market, every sort of business. Mm. So why do you think it is that people seem to be feeling the uncertainty more than ever before? <clears throat> I'm I'm quite a big believer in fads and trends. Mm -hmm. So an example of that is the I suppose the number of keynote speeches, presentations, books written on millenniums. You know, uh, there, there, there's Generation X, there's Generation Y, there's Generation Z, um, and I understand the differences between generations, and of course we need to be aware of them whether it's communications, expectations, etc. But as I said, I, I think if, 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 you, if, you, if you slice my career into three decades, there's always been the same 
and it started at graduate. How do we engage with graduates? How do mm -hmm. we communicate with graduates? What graduates' expectation say that? Then it fell into X, Y, and Z, and Millennium, etc. They're the same challenges. Mm. It's all about communication. It's mm. all about expectation, and it's all about engagement. Mm. And um, that's going to continue every generation. Yeah. So we're just going to go through the alphabet again. Yes. Over the next twenty six, twenty seven generations. So, so putting that to one side. I think clearly Brexit is a hot topic. It's um, in the forefront of everyone's mind. It will affect and is already affecting different sectors differently. Mm. People like to talk about it. People like to scaremonger. People like to, I suppose, put the what ifs in front of us. Mm. Um, I think the reality is for me, my business, my sector, there are two immediate impacts through Brexit as a cause of uncertainty. One is food inflation. Mm -hmm. Now, we've always had food inflation, as I've said, throughout yeah. my career. And it's been a roller coaster journey. Sometimes you benefit from a storm, you know, a storm in Florida and the price of oranges go up or go mm -hmm. down. And it's 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 more commodity. Mm. And you can hedge your commodities, you know, through your procurement and, and um, certain strategies and tactics you can employ. But, it, but it's always been there. Mm. I think what's happened or what's amplified uh, food inflation is the devaluation of the pound. Mm -hmm. So where we saw that uncertainty, if you call it that, um, taking 10% or whatever the, the, the actual figure is off, off the value of sterling, um, that has just compounded at the same time as food inflation. And it's all been wrapped up in the same area. Mm. So, again, without getting into economics, you could argue whether the pound was actually overvalued, mm -hmm. or whether it's found its true um, mark now. But either way, that has happened. So for the last 12 months, we've been acutely aware of it. We have changed our tactics on our procurement. Mm -hmm. We had outsourced um, some of our procurement and, and some commodity lines. We've brought that back in-house now. So we've increased our procurement team just to keep our fleet of foot and our ability. So again, I'm not that articulate, but it's very much about keeping it on a short leash. Mm -hmm. So we, we've got our hands on those leashes. We can pull and extend as and when we need to. And does that help you respond more quickly? Absolutely, yeah. because there's only so much the consumer w w will take. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if we were unchanging and just assumed whatever that negative impact is, we're going to pass on through our retail prices onto our consumers... I don't think that's the right tactic. Mm. I think there's going to be an element of that, mm -hmm. but we should be trying to absorb or deal with the face, the coal face, as much of those increases as we can. And again, not being cynical, but there are there's a potential for some suppliers to utilise that that timing, that scaremongering as an opportunity mm. to um, push through uh, f uh, price increases under the banner of Brexit, uncertainty, inflation, mm. etc. Mm. So it's about, you know, it's about knowing your onions, mm. drilling down in those each areas, resisting, and really just validating the reasons for um, any in increases. Once you've done what you can do on the negotiation front and on the procurement front, then it's how 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 can we absorb uh, that those those that that negative impact as a business, and then. As the last 
straw is is what 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 do we think or what do we need to put onto the consumer price? Mm. So um, it's a it's a bit of a minefield. There's a lot of moving parts. But as I said, if you ask me five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, we've always had challenges on procurement, mm. and whether it's weather on some continent, whether it's um, EU related, whether it's different legislation, whether it's border controls. So, you know, buying locally is clearly um, a, a focus for us. Yeah. You know, I think I think the stat at the moment is something like 83% of all of our products come within a 30 mile radius of any venue that we service. Wow, that's incredible. So it, that's really given us that, dri that, that mm. drive and focus. But mm. again, because of that, it gives us a little bit more control and influence mm. over the, the, the cost and also the product range. Mm. Um, and I noticed that you've won quite a few awards for your catering, haven't you? And I think there's a there's a tendency to to think about catering at venues of a it's some trashy burger that doesn't taste very good, and and you, you but you have to eat it because it's either that or or you don't have time for your dinner before you go to an event. But what I'm seeing from what you're doing is you're you're shifting that quite dramatically. Yeah, and it's very much our point of difference. So. Mm. Of course we do volume and we do mass catering if you wanted to put it under those headings. Well, you have to because if you've got an arena with 5,000 people in it, then that exactly. number needs to be fed or, yeah, or but, some of them. But I would never say we're a mass caterer. Mm. Um, you know, we, we deal and are capable of, of, of delivering great food, great quality, great standards at great volume. Mm. So again, we are one of the only caterers in the country that can go from zero to something like 240,000 covers within 24 hours. Wow. And that's just based on us being a solely event-led business mm. through our core. Mm. Now, yes, that's through our home venues. But if you imagine a dark day at the NEC and then suddenly opening up the doors to Crufts, Horse of the Year, Spring Fair, etc. Yeah. A dark day at either of the arenas going into a full concert or comedy or sporting event where there's sort of fifteen to 16,000 visitors in each arena. Mm. Then look at the conference centres, both the Vox and the ICC, again going from a dark day to every hall, all 11 halls of the ICC are, are full. There's a lunch, there's an evening event, exactly the same as the Vox. So um, it's that it's that ability to turn it on and turn it off. So mm. it's that scalability. Mm. Again, it's, it's part of the enjoyment what we do and who we are mm. but again it, it, it just brings its certain challenges and certain disciplines and certain skills and and you need the right outlook and you need the right team and you need the right people to you know turn it on turn it off change gear whatever yeah so for. so um tell me for example because what i'm hearing is you're you're living and breathing uncertainty without even realizing it because it's part of it's the core of your business is you you know you, you you're dependent on what events you've got lined up and how many people are coming through the door and and presumably then the demographic of those people in terms of what outlets they like to eat at. Um, so what I'm hearing is that you're living and breathing it and have done forever because your whole business is based on it. And I wonder whether in some ways you're more immune to the uncertainty as a result of that than perhaps some more traditional businesses that do do the same thing day in day out and are now having to look at how they do things radi radically different so what are some of the things that 
that you do that enable your team? Because you say you've built a team who can respond to that that volatility. What is it that you do and that your team do that mean they're well positioned to respond to that? Because not every team is. <laughs> no, I guess it's understanding, you know, it's, it's, and it's business 101. It's understanding what you do, understanding your market, mm-hmm. understanding your competitors, but more importantly, understanding your customers. Mm. And I think if you're in any doubt of any of those areas, um, you could potentially be in a little bit of trouble. Mm. So I think first and foremost is having real clarity and it's laser-like clear intent of what we do, why we do it, how we do it, and for who we do it. And as long as you've got those basics in place, then you will automatically go and find systems, processes, or people to reflect and be able to del- deliver that. Mm-hmm. So you know, so I always sort of say, you know, we've got to understand what we've sold or selling, and our customer, whether it's B two B or B two C, need to be really clear on what they've bought or what they're buying. And so um, we we are in a particular market, um, we are in a particular sector. Um, as I said right at the beginning, I don't think the uncertainty's changed. I think it's always been there. I think the areas of uncertainty are always moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so I touched on, you know, the devaluation of sterling and food inflation. You know, we, we, the other real major one at the moment through Brexit is about um, human capital. It is people. So we've already experienced um, some people returning back to home, mm-hmm. wherever home is in Europe, because of the uncertainty, mm-hmm. making that pool slightly smaller. Yeah. The pool that remain and stay in the UK for looking for gainful employment. So not only is that reducing, but by that reducing you get into the supply and demand dynamic. So that's going to become more competitive. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, is it about rate of pay? Is it about immediate salary and remuneration? Is it about culture? Is it about other softer benefits, free parking, free meals, free uniforms, whatever they may be for individuals. Mm. But um, that's forefront of mind at the moment. So Mm -hmm. I am aware of it. I go to bed and wake up with it on my mind, as as I know my team do. We're putting certain things in place. Um, I suppose suppose the the only real frustration at this moment in time is you don't know what you don't know. Mm. So until we know what exit actually looks like only then can you really be confident about what you're putting in place yeah. and are you ahead of the curve on the curve or behind the mm. curve and that's the challenge of the uncertainty isn't it yeah but, but that's that you know really arguably that's the definition of uncertainty mm. isn't it and mm. I say at the moment you've got the exit which is brexit which is driving the the current trend towards uncertainty but pre pre-brexit there was another subject pre that there was another subject yeah. so, so, so it's continuous and so what, so what I'm hearing is that what you what you do to deal with uncertainty is as soon as you start to see things shifting out in whether it's economically or in your consumers um, or your or your businesses that you're starting to plan for those eventualities so you're getting ahead of the curve. Do you yeah. say that that's? Yeah, I mean it's quite a military saying, isn't it? You know, plan for the worst and hope for the best. Mm. Um, and I think that's fairly true in life and mm-hmm. business. Mm. So you know, if, if you have a plan A, B, C, or wherever 
for the worst scenario, then you're probably quite well placed. Mm. We all clearly hope for the best. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't know about you, but chances are all those best laid plans always go out the window when you first either make contact with the customer, make contact with the event, mm -hmm. or whatever point of contact it is. But as long as you're prepared and have these plans, then um, I think you're, you're, you're in a more stronger area to react mm. to the situation you face. So, mm -hmm. you know, we... Because, you, because you've thought it through. Yeah, so, yeah. so, you know, we reacted to the potential for food inflation. Uh, we had several tactics we wanted to employ. The, um, it's hard to quantify, but I'm, I'm very content and happy with the results we've achieved. Hopefully that's behind us now. Mm -hmm. that, that uncertainty seems to have gone because the pound has settled, etc. For the moment. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it will absolutely raise its head again <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in 12 months' time. But as I said, it will always continue mm -hmm. um, with, with challenges on food inflation mm -hmm. and um, you know sterling and import-export and all those other scenarios. Mm -hmm. On the people front, there's been a very small... Um, effect say on, on people either not renewing or going back home um, I think there's more to come mm -hmm. so again we've got to now plan for those eventualities so mm. what, what are we going to do about that so we, again we've got our plans A, plan B, plan C, plan D if we need to deploy them all so be it if we only need to deploy one or two great I don't think we're not going to deploy any of them mm. because I, I do think the ability to predict this area, I think the paperwork for entering the UK is going to become more, either more costly, more long-winded or more complicated. So the process to gain entry is just going to become harder. Mm -hmm. I think the pool will reduce, mm -hmm. so that will become more competitive. Um, so knowing just those two factors alone, mm. you should be able to implement yeah. some planning, some tactics, Ahead, ahead of whatever and whenever it occurs. Mm. So yeah, it, you it, don't need to wait until there's a disaster before you get your your plans in place. Absolutely, <laughs> it's no different. Than, you know, packing for your holiday. Mm. You know, you'll pack for all eventualities. You'll check the weather. You'll check the weather. You'll check mm. the weather. But you'll know you'll have X in your suitcase. Mm. Mm. You know, if you blindly assume that it's going to be warm, cold, damp, whatever the you know, and only pack one suitcase with one item of clothing, mm. then, you know, potentially you're going to come up with a cropper. Mm. So it is about it's about mitigating the risk, deferring that risk, having options, and then, say, having them in your toolbox or repertoire ready to deploy as and when the eventuality arrives. Great. So what are the biggest challenges that you've ever faced in your career of, of leading through uncertainty? Um I've, I've got a, a very interesting CV, I guess, um, and I could bore you with an, antidotes and stories from each one of those, but I'll try and keep it as relevant as I can. So if you spoke about Amadeus, so I've been in the business now for six years. Um, I joined in the summer of 2012, about, I think it was three weeks out from the, um, the large event down in London in 2012. And... Um, that being the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were hugely fortunate to win that contract pre my arrival. And we had two to three years of prep time 
we had trial events, test events, and, and, and we did a great job of, um, of winning that, that contract. So, so we had a contract for half of the Olympic Park. Wow. So that, that, that consisted of, I think it was 96, dif 96 different restaurants or units with about 27 different concepts through those. Um, so I joined, I had a holiday pre-booked, unfortunately I lost my father at that time, so I, I, I forced, and I truly forced um, a lot of my family members to come on a holiday to celebrate uh, my father's life. We went to Greece, I took about 18 of us on holiday. Um, I, was, I remember saying it on appointment that I won't be around for this large event, and it was questioned, and I said, there's nothing I can do in three weeks. It's either going to be fine or it's going to be broken. Mm. My ability to influence it is rather limited, so I wouldn't worry about my pre-booked holiday. Um, so after dragging everyone screaming and kicking away for a fortnight, clearly every evening, every morning, just monitoring the email um, traffic through, through the business, it came evidently clear we had some challenges. Mm -hmm. So um, on the second morning of the holiday, I, I, I announced at breakfast that I, I'm going to fly back to the UK for 48 hours. I'd given them an itinerary, I'd hired minibuses, I, 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 I made sure that they were catered and looked after for, and um, I truly believed I'd fly back in 48 hours and I'd resolve the challenge, because the challenge on the surface of it looked like um, a stock challenge. We couldn't seem, we were struggling to get the right amount of product to um, park versus the volume. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I went through the um, emotional and physical pain of doing that with family. Wow, and 18 um, of them. <laughs> yeah, all clearly ganged up very quickly. Um, and Mrs. Watson and I had, had, had several words before I departed. So I, I put on my thingy cap, I had a couple of glasses of wine on the flight home. If this is just a stock and a supply challenge, I'll just implement some sort of usage per thousand is what I'd probably call it in our industry. So I'd look at our sales mix versus our volumes. I'll, we can manually set up an Excel spreadsheet and we, we could probably say we, we had two, three years setting up quite a complicated system mm. for replenishment. Mm. So automated replenishment, you press a button on the till and sell a banana, the banana's automatically ordered and it mm. arrives. So um. Thinking that was what I was coming back for, and think, feeling fairly confident in my ability to um, rectify it, I thought this 48 hours would, would um, be a fairly safe window. So arriving back in the UK, travelling down to London, I had my pass to give me access to the games. I arrived, walked through the gates, not a problem. But it only gave me access to the communal areas. And when I wanted to get access to the areas where we were serving, um, I couldn't get access. There were multiple passes required. So that had changed. So I had to go back out. I couldn't even get into my own business. So I had to go out of the park, go back to the, um, the organiser and go through the process of getting these individual security passes. So I think I ended up with about 12 in all. <laughs> took me the first 24 hours of my 48 hours. Started to that started to concern me about everyone else. And as I arrived at the park, there were many people in Amadeus uniforms outside of the park or milling around, not being productive. 
So that was my first sort of realization that there was a, a major issue that actually getting our temporary staff that we'd recruited, we had something like three and a half thousand people engaged and on our books and trained, mm. ready to go and help deliver, you know, the, the biggest event on mm. the planet. Mm. I couldn't get them in to the areas where they were due to work. Oh. So based on the, I, I suppose, scope change and um, and I understand security. Mm, so I'm not mm, being mm, you know, flippant, but mm. but that that seemed to catch us on the hop. Mm. So there was a huge backlog and bow wave of individuals needing individual passes to get them into individual areas. So, so it wasn't a stock issue; it was more of a well, yeah, probably so, that as well as a people issue. So just experiencing firsthand, we, we had um, entry and access challenges. The going arriving and walking through the park. I think as a consumer, other than you know a few lines not being out and maybe this one of the 96 not being open, you probably wouldn't realise, um, you'd probably not be aware. Mm. But as soon as I arrived back of house um, and looking at the, so we had a 30 minute to 60 minute delivery window, if you missed that window, you couldn't deliver in that day. We were transporting product made at, in Birmingham so we had a CPU set up in Birmingham, which is a central production unit, to transport our products that we've handmade here mm. down to the park. Um, and looking at the logistics of that and the security and the limited delivery windows, add in weather, add in traffic, add in people, it suddenly becomes a little bit precarious. And then um, we had three compounds where we had our own storage facilities, fridges, freezers, ambient, etc. And again, unbeknown to me, these these have shrunk through requirements and scope creep and the events really being you know the, the major um, factor which is understandable. But but we, we compromised in all three areas so we just reduced our three compounds. Mm. And we calculated that we could have hold at least three days worth of stock in each of these compounds. So we've got the day of trading, a buffer window if we missed our delivery, and the third day. Now, by that reduction, it reduced us to maybe one and a half to two days worth of stock holding. So, so we removed our sort of headroom and buffer. And then experiencing the first delivery, so I'm not going to make any comment, I'm not going to make any decisions, I've just got to observe and really take this in, ask the right questions and, and engage your listening skills was watching the first articulated lorry turn up. Everything that we needed was at the back. So it wasn't packed in a, in a, in a particularly uh, logistical benefit for us mm. on, on, on the ground. Then we had nowhere to store these frozen or chilled product. So we ended up wasting a lot because of the reduced storage space that whether we had agreed to or not, but had happened. Mm. Um, so I can, I, I'm sort of getting a picture now of, okay, we've got challenges with our team, we've got challenges with our product. Um, and then there's a management meeting for, for the team on the ground, which I attended. Um, there were a couple of people falling asleep in that meeting. They'd just worked mm. all day, all night. Mm. So I, I couldn't knock anybody's commitment mm. or, or resilience or attitude. Mm. But there needed to be some rather quick decisions needed. Um, so you talk about uncertainty. You and know. you're new into the business because you were yes, three so, weeks in. So um, the individuals are new to me. 
um, the processes and systems we'd set up over the two, three year period were new to me. Mm. Um, and also the the challenge, the client, the requirements, the customer, it was all fairly new. Mm. So we were blessed with some great weather, which again, no one could predict, so you talk about uncertainty. So that changed the sales mix. There was, if you cast your mind back, there were some challenges for G4S on the security front. Mm -hmm. So the government brought in uh, the military to mm -hmm. support. They, they were supposed to be going through, there was no picnicking, no bringing your own food in, etc. That was removed with the changes of security. So we, and that just changed all the, the, the sales mix predictions we had. Mm -hmm. So people were bringing in their bottles of water. We had a stockpile of water thinking that wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. So we, we had a lot of storage taken up with products that we probably didn't need the volume of. Right. And a high level of volume going out where we had probably had less volume. Mm -hmm. um, Anecdotally, I guess, of those 27 different concepts, the top two selling concepts was pie and mash and fish and chips. So the street food, the um, international cuisine, all the other items that we'd, products that we'd put the innovation and, and effort into, you know, increasing SKUs, product lines, storage, etc. Um, just never matched mm. the desire for, mm. I suppose, the domestic customer or the international customer to want something very traditionally British. Mm. So we had to change some of the concepts there and then overnight. Let's convert this Asian into a pie and mash. Let's change this Mexican into a fish and chips, etc. So it, it, it was constantly fluid. Mm. Um, the type of event that was happening in either day part or day changed the demographic Mm -hmm. And the segmentation that changed mm -hmm. the product mix, the weather changed the product mix. The um, the criteria which we worked to had changed, as I said. There's a couple of examples there. So it, it it was of all the most uncertain times, I guess, with my time with Amadeus. This was probably it, mm. and so, probably also the most crucial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was clearly a large contract. We were previously known as the, the NEC Group Caterer. Our event arm was called Amadeus. We rebranded the total business in Amadeus. We were using the um, the Olympic contract as a bit of a springboard to announce our arrival. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, we were a bit of a, a disruptor in the market. Um, and so this was very much our leaping off point, mm -hmm. really sort of, you know, announce we've arrived and we're taking it seriously. So I say, fortunately, I don't think consumers, well, I know consumers weren't directly affected and they didn't notice, but it gave us some operational challenges internally. Mm. It gave us some challenges with the client. And, um, you know, I, 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 my 48 hours became 27 days. Mm. So I never left the park. I arrived with a overnight bag, probably two pairs of socks, two pairs of underwear, one suit and two shirts, so I clearly got through that quite quickly. <laughs> we were, I physically worked 49 hour shift, 47 hour shift, so so we we regularly worked through mm. two days solid. Mm. Um, finding ourselves rolling our sleeves up and doing some random bizarre things. Um, but it was great to see the team all pull together. Mm. In those sort of situations, and I, I won't relate it, well yeah, I, I will relate it, so, 
it's, it's a bit like going through um, something so material, whether it's you know a conflict forming a band of brothers afterwards, whether it's forming a you know a major incident where these guys meet every year and reminisce, and it and it just really brought the team together, mm. and it's amazing. And there's all, and this is what I love about um, working with people, is you're constantly surprised. Mm. So the ones you would predict would sort of float in this sort of situation ended up sinking. Yeah. The ones that you thought were going to sink actually ended up floating. Mm. And so you could just see people's ability, strengths, skills um, really come into the foreplay because it was crisis management. Mm. Mm. Um, and so we, we had to make some very quick decisions. Some of them weren't fair, but they were correct mm -hmm. for the time. Um, and that's... I suppose part of being a leader, part of being a boss, sometimes you have to make unfair decisions yeah. um, for the right reasons, for the greater good, etc. Um, but watching the team pull together, say I arrived on day three, we, we probably took six to eight days to really sort out the material, um, not the symptoms, but the root causes. Mm. So it took probably 48 hours to identify what they were. We then got after those as a team. Great to watch. Um, you couldn't do it all yourself. You had to utilize your team and delegate and give all, you know, responsibility and authority and ownership to certain areas. Because um, it was a 24 hour operation for those 27 days. Mm. So by the time of the, coming to the end of the actual Olympic games itself, we were, we were now in a position of comfort where we weren't fighting fires, we were just evolving. Mm. There was a break between the Olympics and the Paralympics. And um, the Paralympics went very, very smoothly. So frustratingly, I think if, if, if we'd have known, or if I'd have known what I found when I arrived, and if I'd have had maybe sort of three months, I think we could have avoided all of that mm. uncertainty mm. and all of that distraction and cost and you know, potentially it's back to the planning again, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But it's it, but it's asking the right questions. Mm. It, it's it's that ability to try and predict and forecast. Mm. And as you say, it's having that plan A, B, and C. So if we go in and we do this, and X or Y or Z happens, mm. we have a response in place mm. within our sort of toolbox. And it's um, it's that planning for the worst case scenario. Mm. But hoping for the best case scenario. Yeah. And I think we went in there, I wouldn't say naively, but I think we went in there traveling in hope, assuming for the best and hoping for the best. And, you know, but we hit some bumps along that road and we weren't really prepared to deal with those. Mm. And what better team now to look at any event and plan for it appropriately? Mm. So, so we came out of that, it really brought the team together. We um, we permanently engaged a lot of those temporary um, team members that we had only for for that event. We, you know that they came back, relocated to Birmingham. They're key Great. members of the team now. You can see the guys reminisce. You know that those wounds are, are healed now, mm. but it took a while for those mm. wounds. They, they ran quite deep. Mm. And they were quite tender and sensitive mm. still um, for another couple of years. But um, so, so, what did you learn from that? What was the what was the key thing that you took away? Information. I think fundamentally, to make any in, to make the best decision you can, you need to glean the most information you can. Mm. 
Now, I'm not saying if you're about to put your finger in a plug socket, I'm going to sit back and <clears throat> contemplate and reflect. I'm going to, no. you know, I'm going to grab you and move you and make sure yeah. you don't do that. But yeah. so there's obvious common sense timing to it. Mm. But um, it's about rushing in sometimes. I've been told something. I could have kept that assumption and I could have focused on that. But it's about that time and observation, talking to the guys, gleaning as much information as I could before I started to implement some changes. Mm. And then implementing those changes, not being frightened to say that was wrong. I've 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 got more information available to me now and we need to change that trajectory. Whereas again I've seen people because they've made a decision, they don't want to seem to be um, proven or seem to be wrong mm. and they'll force it through but despite um, other options. So it's that fact finding, taking that information, not getting distracted by symptoms, looking at root cause and then um, implementing but being comfortable and able to change trajectory if that implementation is found wrong, yeah. because there were so mo many moving parts. Mm -hmm. But as I say, you know, whether it's the Olympics in London, whether it's a concert in the Genting Arena, whether it's a exhibition at the NEC, whether it's a conference at the ICC, you still have, of course, the volume is different, but mm -hmm. you still have as many moving parts. Yeah. So you still have the same amount of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So um, it's about, and I don't know about yourself or any of the listeners, but I think, and I'll speak personally, I've probably learned how to do things right from mistakes and doing them wrong mm. than I have from getting it right first time. Yeah, yeah. And watching others make mistakes, watching mm -hmm. others get things right. And, and, and that's really, it's that ability, you know, the old cliche, every day's a school day. Mm. It's that ability to keep learning, mm. keep listening, keep asking the right questions. Mm. And not being too caught up in that, those mistakes and, and beating yourself up over it, but actually taking the learning and then moving on. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's a bit like an elephant in the room, isn't it? I mean, it, it's about the culture of your business. You mm. know, we could have easily got into a bit of a witch hunt, and I could have spent my time trying to figure out why and who. Mm. Instead of it wouldn't have helped you in the moment. No, instead of looking in the rearview mirror, <laughs> mm. actually, let's look out the windscreen mm. here and look forward and mm. go right. What are we going to do mm. to improve and fix and mm. etc. Um, I think you need to address the point and acknowledge it mm. that it's been a mistake and etc. But again, I found people dwelling on these mm. these issues for a long time, mm. trying to find blame, mm. trying to allocate blame. Um, to trying to trying to deal with blame, mm. whereas actually let's address it, let's acknowledge it, yeah. let's, and then let's move on mm. and get into you know the proactive side of what are we going to do about mm. this, how are we going to do about it, etc. And whether that's you know in the heat in the heat of battle, like like um, that particular event was, or whether it's outside of a live event, you know, it, there's a lot of people and a lot of businesses and a lot of books written about, you know looking at the negatives, focusing on the negatives. Every annual re review, we all talk about where you can improve mm, your areas mm, of weakness. Mm. And there's a real balance about actually looking at what you're good at, yeah. focusing on what you're good at, making yeah. that strength a super strength, mm. focusing on what went well. Mm. Um, and if you can get that balance right, you will find your culture and your team and the people within your team will do the same. Mm. And that will just amplify trust 
actually I, I don't need to be worried about a mistake I don't need to be vocalizing my thought here even if it's wrong mm. I'm comfortable there's no one scoring points no one's going to stick a knife between my shoulder blades it also encourages people to be more in innovative and to Absolutely. feel empowered because they know that they're not going to get blamed and judged for making some yeah. small mistake as long as they recover no totally so if you can have those those grassroots principles within your organization mm. And then you add in sort of a bit of a coaching, mentoring mentality. Mm. Well, what would you do? You know, if I wasn't here, what would you do? How, how would you do mm. it? Do you think you've exhausted? And more questioning as mm. we know coaching is about instead mm. of mentoring and coming up with a solution. You know, if you can get that trust and that openness and the acceptance that things will go wrong mm. because we are a people-led business. Mm. You know, we employ something like 2,000 people at some point Someone is going to make a mistake because yeah. we're human, yeah. we are a people business. Yeah. So I've learned long ago never to promise anybody it's all going to be perfect. Mm. But what I will do, and I do promise, is when it does go wrong, because it is going to go wrong, mm -hmm. I can virtually guarantee that there's predictability in that, not uncertainty. It will go wrong, but look how we react. The speed of reaction, how we react, mm. the force we put into the act reaction, the resource, yeah. the energy the passion that's that, that that that's how you that's how you basically get yourself through these times mm. and that's how you deal with uncertainty yeah you know no one's crystal ball varying hazes and fogs mm -hmm. you know some have got a better ability to predict the future than others and that's a gift but um you can't assume and you can't progress business along those lines assuming everything's going to go well mm -hmm. that is traveling in hope mm. as i said you know if you plan for the worst, assume the worst, and have whatever reaction tactics you can deploy in in those circumstances, hopefully, fingers crossed, you don't need them. Yeah. But that prior planning is just worth its weight in gold. Great. So one final question, so, because we've left your family dangling in Greece. <laughs> yeah. So um, what happened to your family holiday? Obviously, you didn't go back if you were 27 days in the Olympic Park. Yeah, so my family had a great time without me. Um, <laughs> the first sort of four or five days were quite fraught in fielding calls about when dad is coming back, when husband is coming back, when son-in-law is coming back, etc. So um, on top of dealing <laughs> with the client and the team, I had to deal with family through those, through those first few days. Mm. Realisation sunk in. Um, so again, I confronted it and said, listen, you're going to have to enjoy your holiday. Well, I suppose for the Watson clan, there, there, there was a silver lining because I had to repeat another holiday for everyone because of, obviously, I, I, in their view, um, not ruined, but changed the holiday. Mm. I clearly didn't get a holiday. So... Mm. Um, Silver lining is we had to try and repeat the process, so we potentially got an extra holiday out of it. Great, and have they forgiven you? Yes, I good. Think so. In fact, well, so no blame and judgment there either. No, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that they actually had a better time without me. So um, I'm just watching because they're currently away now without me during during Easter half term. So um, I hope I haven't started to trend. No, hopefully not. Well, listen, Kevin, it's been great to talk to you today. Thank you very much for your time. No, no, thank you, thank you for the invite. I appreciate it. Every time I interview someone, I think what a fantastic person they would be to work for. And Kevin was no exception. I do love a fast-paced, challenging business. And Kevin seems to thrive on the uncertainty of Amadeus's business.
He's another example of a leader who tackles uncertainty by understanding and mitigating the risks. He and his team are clearly pushing boundaries and it was great to hear that 80% of the produce used at their venues is sourced within 30 miles of the venue and they've won multiple awards for the quality and variety of their food. I particularly enjoyed hearing the war stories of behind the scenes at the 2012 London Olympics. I hope you did too and are inspired to explore how you can lead differently this week. That's it for this podcast. I was your host Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next interview on leading through uncertainty. Mm-hmm.